All right, people, January is officially almost over, which means you know it's that time of year. This is our fourth annual top 10 list series. Yeah, that's right. Hard to believe we have been doing this for technically, again, well, no, yeah, this is our fourth year because of uh, we started in 2019. But this is the fourth time that we've been doing these top 10 lists. We do them at the end of the month, January. We always have those critics that are just in such a rush. They're like, oh man, we got to get our lists out the end of January before the turn of the new year. And I'm like, guys, we're, we're the regular people. We don't get to see advanced screenings and get paid off to give good reviews for shit the way you guys are, you know? So we got to, we, we got to, so as a, as a staple of the talking TV network, that has been a thing since we were established. We always wait. We take the month of January. We do some relaxing. We catch up on a lot of the stuff that we missed. And now here we are at the end of the month. We're kicking it off with top 10 TV shows. Chris, you got anything to say before we get started? I was just going to say, like, you know, I was speaking as I was muted. I was saying, like, yeah, there's definitely like a decent amount of relaxing. But also, you know, we are normal people, so we can't binge watch everything whenever it comes out and, and i think that's what if if there's one thing if you're stumbling upon this channel right now and there's one thing that i want you to know it's this is a place for honest criticism <laughs> no one's bought and sold so hope you guys enjoy our 100 percent from the heart lists that's all i can say and from the heart they shall be all of that more on today's episode of the talking tv podcast it's the top 10 tv shows of 2022 All Chris. right, guys, and welcome back to our weekly webisode series. <laughs> I love that that's been there for absolutely ever, ever. and we've it's never once acknowledged it. It's a staple. Who cares at this point? Oh, goodness. Oh, God, that's hilarious. What's going on, guys? Good morning, everyone. Luke's in the chat. Always great to see him. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have you back, Luke. And I also love that Luke like changes the official <laughs> YouTube name. A classic Chris is muted moment. What else is new? Ugh. Anyways, Dom, what's new with you? Before we, I know you have places to be this after this this morning, but ah, before we get into it, give me like the quick what's new in the world of Dom as the, Dom the film critic, you know, and and Dom the human. Oh well, Dom the human is struggling as he always is. You know, it it it, it, it do be like that in, in, in the city of angels, as they call. Right? Is, is, do they ever call New York City that? I don't think they do. But I, I just Los call Angeles, my friend. Oh, whatever. I, I I'm getting my East and West Coast terminology mixed up. <laughs> I I just I'm here to light some more people on fire. What can I say? Uh yeah. Um, you know, I'm just getting through the day, trying to watch, still watch as much stuff as I can in my infinitely busier life. I'm in the second semester, but it's crazy because it's already almost over because our second semester is infinitely shorter than our first. So like we get done in like end of March, beginning of April. So I am just very much looking forward to, in a strange way, it's like I was so excited to start it and now it's like I can't to get back to it after winter break. And now it's like, I just can't wait to be done with it again. I just want to get to the summer. I want to get back to working full time. And I want to get back to watching content full time and dedicating more time to the content well. Because I think that as far as 2022 goes and just what a weird year that was, like being like the real return to normalcy that 2021 really wasn't. I have to say that if anything was established, the irony being that this is the year that like Wall Street really clamped down on Hollywood as far as all the money that they were pouring into streaming. But the irony being that I, we, we've been talking about this the last couple of years, but I would say that this is the first year where streaming finally beat movies. Like aside from the last four months of 2022, which like finally brought out all the movies that it seemed like we had been waiting for all year to watch. Like TV... From the minute the 2022 started with Peacemaker, it started and it just did not stop. There were so many shows that came out, both new shows that have been filmed during the pandemic, as well as returning shows, a lot of which had not come out during the delays. Again, we got returning season for Atlanta, Ozark, Barry, Better Call Saul, The Boys, all these shows that we hadn't had for like a couple years at that point. The other thing that I actually do appreciate for TV, and this is the thing that I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about, is I appreciate that this is the year that streaming finally exposed the fake IPs for what they were. And what do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, for the last couple of years, you know, you and I have talked about how it seems like Star Wars had been kind of getting away with a lot of stuff on streaming. You know, how you, you had been, you know, pretty critical of The Mandalorian and how it wasn't as good as people said it was. 
And this is the year where we'd only hit, but the difference was that we'd only had one a year. And because they were, you know, just had to do the minuscule task of being better than the movies, which had been really, really bad at that point, we kind of accepted it. You know, we had Mando seasons one and two, and then we had Bad Batch in 2021, which was so good. It's like, okay, we, we never need anything from Star Wars again. And then 2021 just kicked off, and we had Book of Boba and Obi-Wan. And it's like, wow, so is this what Star Wars going to be going forward? And I would, but, and, and the other thing too, as well, is that this is the year that finally the wool was pulled off of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where again, I, it just felt ev like every single thing that they put out this year was just a flop, bomb, poorly reviewed, got torn apart to death by critics. And so in a way, I'm like kind of appreciative of that because now that like the big things that like everybody gravitates towards are finally getting the criticism that they deserve and finally getting torn apart the way that they deserve for nothing other than the fact that they're just bad products that aren't well made at all and just show that they are nothing but the machinations of corporate overlords who just want to enslave and entice us. And I'm going to use that language because it's true. <laughs> um yeah, I it wow. left room for um, never ask Dom how he's doing again. Never, ever, ever. But <laughs> in order to wrap up that very long-winded and kind of semi-confusing tangent, what I can say is that um, it, it left room for a lot of just great original content. There was, like I said, there, you're going to see a lot of returning shows. You're going to see a lot of new shows on our list that. For the most part, again, I mean, they're on our top 10 list. I would say that, like, you know, you've talked about in the past. I was like, you know, sometimes things make your top 10 list just because you need to fill some spots. But I don't know. I, I'd like to think that this is the first year in a while where every single thing on this list really hit and really delivered in a way that was both satisfying and unexpected, which we all know those are the best kinds of ways when things can deliver. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that before we get these lists started? Well, my thoughts are you must be the most interesting person at any party because all i did was ask you what was <laughs> all i did was ask you what was new and how things are going and it, we end up with corporate overlords enslaving us for our dollars i Listen, mean that man, they've been saying this in movies for 30 years now right i'm just speaking what other people have already been saying for a long time now no 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 all jokes aside obviously i think you're right but everyone knew that i think you're 100 percent right it, it's uh if you are able to, for a second, turn off the hype machine, you know, if you're into that YouTube ecosystem and you follow all the film critics, critics like I do and stuff, if you can just like wait out one release cycle and make up your own thoughts on something first and then go watch their reviews, you begin to see like, oh, yeah, OK, maybe uh, Disney advertising on his show before he goes live every week is a thing that is impacting his decision. Not saying there's any definite proof there, but I am saying that like you can start to assume things and and assumptions aren't everything in fact they're just your assumption but you you put it better than i did so i'll leave it there and that that's my little way of agreeing with you but i mean listen here's one thing that we don't need any assumptions about and this is easy to speak on what we're going to do here today because it's our personal lists right it's our personal best so I can assume what's on your list. I think you peeked and looked at mine, but the viewers know nothing. So shall we give them the show that they came here for? Shall, indeed. And like I said, talking TV tradition, TV, that's your corner. So you started off, Chris. What is your number 10 best TV show of 2022? Yeah, so even though I felt that this, step took, uh, this show took a step backwards this year, I still think it was one large step for streaming. Uh, you know, a small step for the internet because it wasn't as noticed as I would have hoped for, but a very large step for streaming nonetheless because we were talking when we first watched uh, this first season of this show. I think, what was it, back in 2019? Back in 20, well, 2020 was when we first watched it, and then uh, 2021 when the second season was about to drop is when we uh, were really like getting into it. And we were just talking about, like, wow, we thought that this type of classic drama, which is for all mankind was gone. We, we'd never see it again. But it just, we had to find it. You know, Apple at first was one of those streamers that you needed to uh, do a little excavation. You know, a little, they should almost have a Jurassic Park original series on there because you needed to be, you needed to be an archaeologist in those early years to freaking find anything that was good. But really, the problem was people were afraid to try anything. What, what I think this show taught us, at least me, was that a lot on Apple TV Plus is good. You just got to watch it. There's not going to be, for some weird reason, even though it's Apple and, you know, they are our corporate overlords, as Dom alluded to early, for some reason they don't advertise this little platform. 
maybe it's just like a tax write-off for them or something. So they don't care. And, And it's like, yeah, me too, honestly. I think you said that at one point in time and you put the bug in my head and I'm like, that just makes sense. Well, that was for Amazon, but, so it only made sense that it was for Apple too. The only reason why it's always confused yeah, with yeah. Apple is because Apple's primarily hardware and they kind of only use their streaming service as a means in order to like continue to sell iPhones. And it's like, you don't need an extra incentive to do that. But like, hey, if it makes for a great streaming service, I'm not complaining. I would say go watch the Talking TV official review of For All Mankind that exists on this channel, but I'll just leave it at this. It's like Apple has dared to go a place that mankind hasn't hasn't been in a long time and it's just bringing back quality to the streaming uh ethos uh you know ecosystem so i i definitely even though again this season was a step back it was still a great season the characters are incredible and i highly recommend for all mankind dom Take it over, man. Absolutely. Only thing that I got to say about For All Mankind Season 3 is that I wished upon wish that I could have put it in my top 10. I was so excited for it to come back only one year after that gangbuster second season, which was so good. And, like, I feel like there was a couple of returning shows that came back this year for shows that we really loved in the last couple of years that just, as good as they were, just could not hit the mark of the last couple seasons, uh, <laughs> Cobra Kai. But, uh, yeah, yeah that leads... I, I knew we were going with that, but that leads into my number 10, which... I, it, it was tricky because I had one of these for my movie list and one of these for my TV list. I did not end up going with it for my movie list because I was able to do a couple of rewatches. But my TV list, man, th- th- this was one show for a while, and then it was another show. And then the problem was we had another case where there were a couple cases. There were three different instances, three different instances of there being multiple seasons of TV shows dropped within this year. They, made, they really took the Cobra Kai model from last year and ran with it because we got two seasons of Ozark two seasons of Atlanta, and two seasons of one of Apple's best new debuts of this year, that being the spy drama Slow Horses, which is also tied for me with a returning second season of a show that I really, really enjoyed when it aired in 2021, but its sophomore outing this year just completely solidified that this is one of the best new shows on TV that a lot of people need to be watching and talking about. So my number 10 is a tie between Slow Horses, their first two seasons on Apple TV+, and Reservation Dogs, on FX and Hulu, its second season. So, Chris, you and I have talked about Slow Horses. You've already watched it. You're already very well familiar with it. So I'll save that for the second half. But essentially, in order to break down what Reservation Dogs is, for anybody that doesn't know, Reservation Dogs is a dramedy, I guess you could call it. It's a half hour long, and it's developed by Tekka Waititi and Sterling Harjo, about four Native American kids living on a reservation in Oklahoma who are desperately trying to raise up enough money so they can go to California in order to fulfill the dream of their friend who is recently passed. Uh, at the beginning of season one, throughout the course of the show, they slowly build to and show the reason as to why he passed. It is tragic. It is very unfortunate. And the thing that I really, really love about the show and the thing that I really relate to is aside, besides being one of, I think, a lot of really what, what a lot of new shows are doing really well, which is capturing kind of the angst and confusion that a lot of Gen Zers feel you know, in in kind of the modern world. And it, it also does that thing that, again, so many big Hollywood productions pretend to do, which is like, you know, caring about a marginalized group of people that have not really had as much of a chance and it had as much of an impact on the media space before. And it does it in a fresh, original way that, like, makes them feel real, makes them feel believable, makes them actually feel like real human beings. I think the four actors that get to play the four main characters and the four kids in the show are phenomenal, and they're already starting to make their way into the big mainstream factor. You know, one of them was just in the most recent Spielberg movie. Another one is set to appear in the upcoming marvel echo tv show you know i'm never gonna fault uh anyone for getting that pay getting that disney money when they can you know but i i do heavily recommend it like i said it, it is one of the shows that again does what a lot of new shows that i love are doing is that it will make you laugh it will make you cry it it, it, it just goes from being one of the most ridiculous things you'll see like you'll have like weird trippy acid visions of like all these surrealist imagery to just being like you know just a good hangout bit you know where it feels like you're hanging out with some of your friends you know it's super relatable it's super awesome it's really heartwarming and I, I definitely recommend it and then for slow horses I mean Chris you and I already talked about this a little bit but like what more can we say about it this is a show that just feels like it was made for us it's a it's, it's a spy show it's about the Brits so everyone's gonna be always miserable which means naturally we're just gonna love it that much more Gary Oldman is the lead as that smart ass boss who is just miserable and is just so brutally rudely honest but is also you know the absolute best one at his job we got two seasons of it the first one that aired back in april the second season of which just finished airing in december both were great both were taught tight suspense thrillers you manage you find yourself falling in love with each one of these characters in the slower house department you know again they've kind of been rejected by the main mi5 group known as the park 
as kind of the rejects, but they consistently find themselves in these ridiculously heightened situations. And yeah, it's it's just, it's awesome. I heavily recommend it. If you're into spy stuff, if you're into just, again, just good TV in general, and again, continue to prove that the Brits know exactly what they're doing, I heavily recommend both these shows. I know I cheated a little bit, but like the, both these shows were so good. I'm like, I, I couldn't disrespect one by putting it in honorable engines, you know? So that is my number 10. Slow Horses, the first two seasons, and Reservation Dogs, season two. Chris, moving on to you. What is your number nine? Yeah, no, my number nine is another Apple TV Plus show. Um, it's it's somewhat of a theme for this uh, this list here, as we'll see. I'm just gonna I'm not gonna bury the lead um, in case my uh, future employer potentially might be watching. So, um, physical Apple TV Plus is physical. It debuted its second season. Um, it's uh, starring Rose Byron, and I must say that this show is still charming. It's still endearing. It's still got its heart-wrenching moments it still has its humanity which for those of you who don't know this show sort of tackles um from a female perspective being the wife of um a politician who you know has never really held office but you're still considered a politician but you still have to pay the bills right so she is a very gifted and talented um and and, and innovative dancer fitness dancing kind of like those 80s dance videos that all of our parents used to do the dvds of in their rooms you know those kind of things with the pastel colors and like the you go pump it up all that stuff and uh and and she's but she's in this show she's on the forefront of that and it's it's really cool to see this woman pretty much attain this enterprise at all costs with really no one in her corner she has people who say they're in her corner i'd say the most in her corner is the character of her best friend whose name i'm forgetting Sheila. Yeah, yeah she's a little clueless too at times and and of course she's battling her own demons she's battling eating disorders and the show pulls no punches in any of her um you know challenges especially in that area i think they give a very honest depiction of it because it's a, it's it's an interesting dichotomy how can someone so in shape a fitness professional someone who's creating an empire off of being fit have this sort of debilitating physical illness well she's human you know she's not perfect she's flawed like the rest of us she's real if anything um and and i think that's what's really cool about this show i, I do think it was a better season than season one there was a lot to sort of set up and establish however i just wonder if a show like this can ever be at the top of my list because it was again more of the same i think but in a great way like it was more of the same in an amazing way because if you love physical you love this show which i do and and i i just I can't get enough of this show i love the whole san diego the way that they're painting it in the late 70s early 80s it's it's fun i'm now waiting for them to take it from being a number 9 on my list to a number 2 or 3 i hope they get there we'll see if they do I don't know if they will, but at the very least, we watched a lot of TV, Dom and I, between the two of us this year. It was definitely worthy of being on this list. Now I'm waiting for it. It entered the list. Will it enter the top five, top three? Because right. I think it can, and time will tell. But at number nine for now, I'd say the underdog of this list still, physical. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I also very much enjoyed this show second season as well went to a lot of darker places that I was not expecting. I just, just wanted to give a quick correction. Sheila is Rose Burns character. I screwed up there. It's uh, Greta is the character's name. Greta. Character. Mm -hmm. That's the one. And also fun fact, uh, you heard it here first people, but when season three comes out, there is an actor who will appear in season three, who shall remain nameless, who actually, fun fact, his daughter, I'm actually in acting school with. So just so wanted to give a little shout out. These are things you only get here on the Talking <laughs> TV podcast. That you know, class, oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. But moving on after to- After class, after my, the stream. After the stream, whatever. You know, you, you know what I'm it's talking It's always about. class when I'm with you, Dom. I, exactly. I never I never fail to learn something. So I think that was a little uh, <laughs> Freudian year, slip there. Six years running and, and, and you're still learning stuff from me. I feel completely honored. So number nine is a show that aired right at the beginning of the year. Man, this is how you knew that we were gifted in 2022 because we started off the year with peacemaker and that was already great enough we already thought that that like set the tone for the year and we already thought that we were like you know pretty set with animation you know from the previous year with it you know would pretty much it was going to be between disney star wars and then whatever original whatever amazon animated stuff they were going to throw at us you know as far as setting up for animation and we were pretty set that amazon knew what they were doing superhero wise but who knew that you know lord of the rings aside Amazon would actually know what they were doing when it came to fantasy. Not only what they were doing when it came to fantasy, but how to truly, truly give back 
to the fans with the green lighting of critical roles, the legend of Vox Machina. Oh man, I mean, hey. I remember I remember watching this show, and once I found out that like it was actually made by a DD group called Critical Role, I immediately texted you. It was like, Chris, they they did it. I don't know how, but they did it. It's animated, it's based off a DD group. I assumed I immediately assumed, I think correctly so, that you knew exactly who Critical Role was. That being, you know, led by uh, Matt Mercer and comprised of voice actors Laura Bailey, Talison Yaffe, uh, Sam Regal, Travis Willingham, uh, Ashley Johnson, uh, what's it called, Marisha Ray, and Liam O'Brien, who are all return in their voiceovers in the voiceover in order to voice the characters that comprise the group, the legend of Vox Machina. Again, it's a, the best way that I can describe the show is that it's got all of the trappings of a typical fantasy show mixed with like a 21st century, like zillennial feeling to it where all the characters are hard edge. They're all cursing. They're all constantly screwing up and they've all got their like fair share of baggage and trauma from their respective pasts. And the fact that like, they're all like different races and, and all sorts of things, but they kind of like all use that in order to like collectively just form this like one big weird family and like it takes some different adventures but that would just be one thing if the show just did that but it's the fact that the show doubles down so hard on like the feeling of its world and like just how intense these missions that they go on and can get like there's a lot again we're fully in the realm of adult animation so we're getting a lot of blood we're getting a lot of gore we're getting a ton of cursing and i am all there for it they just started airing season two this past friday and i watched the first three episodes immediately and i'm like we're back this is everything that i possibly could have wanted we we talked about it last year when this show first aired it's great it's just so much fun if you just want, like, again, like a great animated show that just has everything for you. Legend of Vox Machina is absolutely there for it. Season two currently airing on Amazon. Go watch it if you have if you haven't gotten a chance yet. All right. So for number eight, I think it's best just to read like the description of this so you can see the magnitude that it carries. Um, Puss in Boots discovers that his passion for adventure has taken its toll. He has burnt through eight of his nine lives. Puss sets out on an epic journey. <laughs> I'm not even. I was about to say. I'm just not even glorifying kidding. that. I'm not even glorifying that with respect. I'm like, because I know you too well at this point. I'm like, I'm not even bothering because you do oh, one of these to. every I, single time. So I did this because this next series is. It's harder to laugh at this show. It is a bit. All right, I'll just. I won't bury the lead. After we all know what it is. We all know what it is. I Ricky Gervais. Um. So, yeah, I, I've, you know, I did shed a tear and maybe more than one because this was the finale um, and it did exactly what I was afraid it would do, but also it did what it needed to do, which was, hey, life sometimes doesn't give you a happy ending and yes, you can find peace out of a bad situation, but does that mean you're 100% okay? Well, you can recover. But is recovery the same thing as making it out the same person? No, you're forever changed. And is that something that you need to learn to live with? Well, that is for the eye of the beholder. But if it is something that you need to learn to live with, is it okay to let happiness in? And the snowball effect of, of these questions that I think a lot of people who have dealt with things like this, loss in tragic ways, the show is about Ricky Gervais's character um, loses his wife to cancer, and you only ever see her through these flashback video recordings, which on paper, okay, sounds like a trope, but god damn do they shoot those in such a human, visceral, real way that it's like, stop. There's like one episode in this new season where it's like entirely just these flashbacks, these hidden tapes, and I'm just like, stop. I don't want to see this anymore, but I love these characters it has that typical dark English satire where we can make a joke out of anything. Why? Because we're an island nation that once ruled the entire world. And if that isn't comedic in and of itself, then we don't know what is, you know? And it's like, just like thinking about it, it's just, I don't know why this show never really caught on the way that I would have hoped. Sure, Ricky Gervais has his army of fans, millions of us to begin with, that are just always going to kind of be by his side. But I also kind of understand why it never caught on. I think probably a lot of people turned on the first few episodes and were just like, I can't do this right now. You know, I need to shut my brain off from like the tragedies of the real world, not like invite them in when I'm trying to relax. Um, but I think there are some like I'm a musician and there's some bands that are like musicians bands, you know, 
they make music that sure it's palatable and, and, and normal people can appreciate it too. Non-musicians is what I mean by normal. But if you're a musician, you can really get the deep textual layers that sort of make up all the intricacies. You really can, you can really, it's granular to you. Like you can feel it. And I think this is like a filmmaker's show, you know, it, because you want to be uncomfortable. Like good art sometimes provokes you to answer questions that you never want to even ask in the first place. And I think it's the dichotomy of Ricky Gervais being behind a show that is so against everything that he normally is. Like he's like the guy who's like, I'm going to pull the, you know, the curtain back and expose the truth and and we're just gonna have a good laugh about it because hey it's all going to you know shit anyways so let's just have a laugh about it but this is so apropos to what he normally does that it's <laughs> he he won me over with this show really is what he did and i think this show has a cult following for a reason it's 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 the best most uncomfortable watch i've ever experienced in my life i'm at the same time so thankful that it is over with because I can't, my heart can't bear another season, but I would watch it instantly because I'm just so hooked on it. And, uh, th this is, this is a show that again, man, watch it. If you want a weird sun, if you have, if it's a rainy Sunday and you're like feeling weird and icky, that's the perfect time to put this show on. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, it can never be higher on the list. I just think for, for sanity reasons, for, for happiness, you know, you don't want to end, end the top 10 list with, oh, my number one was afterlife. Cause then your whole day's ruined. Like I want to get to more fun stuff now, but it certainly deserves to be on the list. So at number I eight, Ricky Gervais afterlife. I, I think you could put a number, make a number one, anything. Wait till you see my number one. My number one is arguably like one of the most depressing shows that came out of this <laughs> year, but it was also like one of the most fun. But yeah, man, again, I love it. Like how, again, we spent like an entire, like couple years just dogging on Netflix, even though they would always have the one show that always wins the year. And I think for the most part, 2022, I mean, 2022 had some Netflix shows that people like, like people really seem to gravitate towards that Wednesday Adam show, which again, I, I haven't watched yet. And I, I personally don't see the appeal, but man, you had afterlife and you know me, I, I was, like I said, after, after the disaster that was the Ozark finale, I was ready to say goodbye to Netflix. I was ready to be done. I'm like, that's it. This is it. This is the final nail in the Netflix coffin. This is it. And then, um, what's it called? And then something came. And this was arguably after, again, this is one of our two shows that we gravitated towards, you know? We were like, here, this is our show. And I, I think it's safe to say, I mean, you liked the last season a lot more than I did, but season three of Stranger Things, I have very, very much made vocal that I am not a fan of that season. And the way that that season ended, I'm like, okay, that's it, right? They can't really go anywhere else. So you can imagine my surprise when Stranger Things season four was not only good, it was fucking great. Did... All of the plot lines necessarily need to be there. No. Did a lot of the characters that seem to be like the mainstay, mainstream characters kind of take a backseat? Yes. Were certain things that happened that kind of, um, you know, overrode the, uh, some, of, some of the continuity of the, uh, of the previous couple seasons happened? Yes. Did really any of that matter at the end of the day? Not really, because this is just the most amount of fun, some of the best acting, some of the best storylines, some of the best drama that's come from these characters that we've been following for the last couple of years. Matt and Ross Duffer really went out of their way to turn this into the Empire Strikes Back slash Infinity War of their magnum opus, and it showed in all the best ways this was the biggest season. Like, there were some, some of the effects and some of the usages um, what's it called? Uh, what's it called? Some of the way that some of this were shot. I was like, how the hell are they able to afford this? The effects didn't actually look like shit this time. The introduction of Vecna as like kind of the final overall big bad, big boss, continuing to tie it into the Dungeons and Dragons lore. Obviously, again, Eddie Munson, a brand new character who ended up blowing up, becoming like a fan favorite overnight again, just continuing with all the great characters that we loved from this past season. Also giving Max Sadie Sink probably one of the best years just in general that she's had as well, not just on this show, but also for her appearance in The Whale as well, which she was also fantastic in. Like, it, again, it was just, it was a great year. It, it was one that I was not expecting. They did that weird Netflix scene that Netflix is doing now where they split it up into two parts. They released the last two episodes uh, like two months after the first seven. But considering that the finale of this show was longer than Thor, that, 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 a, that a Marvel movie that came out this year. I mean, I think it's safe to say it was needed. But like I said, the, the finale, it just had me crying. It had me laughing once all the characters were back in Hawkins and once they were back reunited. And it set us up for a gangbusters final season 
again, again not, not just one show, but two, or both of our shows are ending because they also just recently announced that Cobra Kai's next season will be its last, which I kind of already guessed at. But yeah, Stranger Things season four. It was a blast. It surprised me in all the best ways possible. And yeah, that, that is why it is my number eight on this list. Nice. For number seven, we're going to go to, we're going to go back to the UK. Uh, and, and, and this time we're going to go to a little place called Slough House because yeah. we're talking about slow Hell horses. Yeah. Um, and, and like Dom said, this is kind of my way to cheat it into last year as well. We didn't find out about this show, Dom and I, until 2022. So well, that's when it, it started airing. Oh, both seasons came both out this year. Both seasons aired in 2022. Yeah. Season one was April and then season two was December. And, you know, I thought that, but then I was like, there's no way someone could do two perfect seasons in one year. Well, then, hell, this is great because I don't have to pick a season. I'm just putting the entire show because it's been from start to finish. Absolutely phenomenal. It's it's it is the spy thriller of spy thrillers on on the streaming world right now. I mean, it does everything right because it has like an old soul and old pacing. They're not there's not these like Jack Ryan kind of moments, which I do love. Don't think I don't love it. I love these 24 big bombastic moments. But I think whereas those shows sometimes try to rely on a little flash and explosion type stuff in a finale, this show just relies on writing dynamics. Um, I know Dom's the actor and he hates now when anyone who doesn't have acting experience critiques acting. But I will say, I mean, the way that these actors play off of each other and really the chemistry, the bond or, or lack thereof, the feuds between these characters is it's 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 a it's i think it's a people study at the end of the day because hey we're all playing for the same team so why is there so much resentment but there is with any sort of i think human corporate environment or hierarchy the people at the bottom are jealous of the people at the top and people will undercut someone to get ahead but this situation's again they're all mi5 they're all fighting for the defense of their nation so it's strange it's strange to see this feuding when there's so much bigger on the line so many more important things on the line the citizens the future of the country you know but yet there's all this infighting that that's really the part of it that i love the most is kind of like the inner workings of mi5 slough house are they just a bunch of screw-ups or were they cast aside because wow these people could they're so much more talented than i am so maybe i need to get them out of my way so i can succeed because if if gary oldman's character's in my way i'm never going to reach the top and so i won't spoil any more or say any say anything else I'll, I'll keep it vague so you can go and watch it and enjoy it but like tom said the english they do it right and and this show is so smashingly great and that's that's all i'll say slough house on apple tv plus keeping up with that apple tv theme go watch it guys it's a worthwhile subscription Absolutely. and it's a very cheap one compared to most so 1,000%. Not to mention the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we might be getting another two seasons this year as well, which, again, if they're going to continue with this whole two oh, seasons a year drop, oh, I am all for it. I am all for it. Now, going on to my number seven, I'm going to kind of rapid fire through this next couple. Like I said, we, we've been talking about a, I think, like I said, it's it's been a good mix so far that we've talked about, you know, of both returning and original shows. And this one, like I said, it kicked off the year. It was a follow-up to I think both of our, if I'm not mistaken, both of our favorite movies of 2021, that being The Suicide Squad. And James Gunn just showed that like, okay, he did some great stuff at Marvel, but he's here to do some even better stuff at DC. And that is with Peacemaker. Again, the fact that this is the, the, the next in a long line of shows that, again, I'm just trusting of when they make a joke about a spinoff in the writer's room, it has to start as a joke. Because if it starts off from a place of genuine feeling, we all know that the spinoff is going to suck and we're just going to end up with Joey. But if it starts off as a joke, like Better Call Saul, like Cobra Kai on the set of How I Met Your Mother, which is how that originated, you know, and then Peacemaker, where Gunn loved working with Cena so much on the Suicide Squad that despite the fact that the original intention was to kill that character at the end of the movie, as it very much shows, he retroactively brought him back. So I made him survive getting crushed under a pile of rubble by a giant starfish and gave him his own show and arguably came up with the show that I think kind of set the tone for 2022 in the sense of it is equally parts bombastic and over the top and ridiculous and everything that you would want from a James Gunn movie where the characters are just nonstop throwing insults, jabs, barbs at each other. And there's a joke every five minutes, but there's something about gun style that makes it work and makes it not feel sticky and makes it feel like from a genuine place of characters tragedy. It's a thing that I've said about guns since I really became aware of him once I saw the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which is that he is just so good at having his characters use their inner tragedies and coming up with these brilliant comedic facades in order to cover up with it. All of the original, you know, returning characters from the Suicide Squad as well, some of the new characters, again, the, the scene stealer for me of that show, that being Freddie Stroma's performance as Adrian Chase, a.k.a. Vigilante, 
and just every place it went. It didn't even matter that they were just fighting another giant alien blob at the end. Like, that's another thing that Gunn makes so good is Gunn just actively rips all the tropes that we criticize Marvel for for years and just puts them on full display, just makes them instantly better. Like, okay, you thought a star, a giant starfish was crazy? How about a giant alien? I don't even know what the hell that thing was at the end that they just destroyed, you know? Even taking shots at the now semi-sort of deceased DC, worlds of DC universe, whatever, by, by having Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller cameo at the end of the show, only for John Cena to just throw shots at the show was great. It was everything we could have wanted. My number seven peacemaker easily. Yeah, Ezra Miller, pre-criminal sentence. Pre-criminal um, sentence. Oh, but wait, wait, it gets even better because he is now being considered, DC is considering keeping him around because he's one of the better ones. Not Henry Cavill, not Gal Gadot, but Ezra Miller, he's a keeper right there. Yeah, they really know what they're doing. <laughs> well, you know, finally, it seems like Disney Star Wars knows what they're doing because Andor comes in at number Fuck six yeah. for me, being yeah. dark, being gritty, bringing everything that I've always wanted to see in the galaxy far, far away to the small screen. And, and what I mean by everything that I've wanted to see, that's not to say there hasn't been great Star Wars. There clearly has. Go look at the first six movies. What I mean is when it when you have a television show off of a pre-established world, the thought behind it is, at least I think, we can spend more time here. We can show a little more than we have time on, on, on the big screen, you know? People do sit through four-hour movies, but not often. So we have a real opportunity here to play around a little more you know really show the streets of these foreign uh planets really get to see the lives these people are living and i don't think you can do that necessarily to the fullest extent when you're trying to take the blockbuster route like they did with obi-wan like they tr i don't know what they did with boba fett but one can only assume and, and 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 i think sort of take the best parts of the mandalorian and accent them but but actually tap into the inner voice of star wars which is what i think andor did so well and i just i i hey it took a little while but i'm just glad we have phenomenal star wars again i mean disney is not their batting average is pretty terrible but as long as cassie and andor's around it seems that they make some pretty fine entertainment i mean rogue one and this i I don't know. It sucks because we know what happens to him. So this this can only go so far, but I'll take what I can get. And what I got was my first Star Wars entry in a top 10 list and God knows how long. And for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. But I just I know that the next time they let me down, it's going to hurt even worse because now we've had something good on the small screen. See, before we didn't have anything good. So it was I was just rolling with the punches and I was numb to the pain but now it's just gonna sting worse than it ever has but until that happens i'm gonna relish in the success that was andor so yeah more more on that in a little bit once i get to its place on my list but first i have to get to my next choice which again is it a is another uh semi oh, actually no it is actually an original piece of property again from apple tv plus continuing the theme here again we watch it again early on in the year it aired back in february and i already had a ton of investment in ben stiller because he had already proved more times than not that he was an infinitely better director than an actor i thought and i already thought that what he did with escape at danamora in 2018 was groundbreaking and amazing in and of itself and then he comes out with severance and i'm just like what the hell first of all there's some more bias going into this list because this is another thing that we've covered in the last couple of years that was shot in our area kingston new york which by the way like that basically guarantees that something from our area is going to get on this list on our these end of the year list every year right um but yeah it just this is a show where i'm like okay ben stiller's directing you got adam scott you got Patricia Arquette. You got John Turturro. You got Christopher Walken on a TV show. There's no way this is not going to be great, right? And that's before I even knew what the hell the show was about. And then I actually saw the premise, which I'm like, okay, you mean to tell me that there's been this scientific procedure that has been developed that allows people to essentially have an entirely different personality that is completely unaware and not conscious of their selves that exist outside of the workplace. And then we come to find out once we actually do the podcast on this list that, um, what's it called? Then we find out when we come to actually do the podcast on here that this is something that is sort of based in real world practices and real world things like that already like crafted like a show that was already 17 levels of inception deep and the show and it helped that the show was you know just great to begin with it's wildly inventive it's really funny the characters like they 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 don't feel like typical sci-fi characters if that makes any sense like you're not they're they're not constantly brooding the tone is not constantly om ominous you know the first couple episodes just feels like a regular boring workplace drama but the workplace just feels like really weird and trippy but it's again it's another one of those again when you're in an office setting for a certain amount of time it really captures just the mundanity of it. it's like that feeling of yeah you just you gotta get through the day 
and just get through in order to get to the to the end of the day. But in this case, it's like when, when, when you literally get to the end of the day and you leave the office building, you literally become a completely different person. I think there was a lot of stuff going on there, both in the physical, in, in the literal sense and the metaphorical sense. It's one of the deepest shows I think that came out. And again, slight nitpick on the sense that the show kind of ended on a cliffhanger, but it just makes me even more excited to see where they're going to go with once season two finally airs, especially as they added a ton of new people to season two. I absolutely cannot wait to see what they have in store. Severance, easily one of the most breathtaking shows that came out of this year, no doubt. Great. And for my next entry, I, I'm not texting. I'm reading something I had to transcribe to introduce this. <clears throat> I'm going to try my best movie announcer voice. <laughs> in a world where things change, but not really, comes a podcast about friends talking about things that are strange, but not really. But if it was strange you before, then is then this is stranger. Oh but if it's already God. stranger, would that make this stranger-er? I don't know. I'm just here to talk about some Stranger Things. Oh and that is God. my number five entry, Stranger Things, the show that started it all. Was that from our Movie Nerd Reviews podcast, the one that we did back in 2019? That's from the first episode of the Talking TV oh, podcast, shit. the first exact words ever said on this podcast. And that was by you, Dom. Oh that's how you introduced God, it. God, that's and right. And it all comes full circle here today because, like you said, from the ashes of Phoenix Rose. Now, I loved season three, but it was definitely a change of heart. I was just so happy to get away from that stupid Animorphs episode in season two, which, thank God, we've never come back to that. Well, we kind of sort of did, but they did it better. They did it better, yeah. But I got to say, Stranger Things episode uh, season four was absolutely incredible, and that's why it comes in at my number five. Oh, man. I I, I love the fact that you brought back the... um... That you brought back. I, it's funny. I, I wasn't sure if that was the movie nerd reviews episode or that was the first episode of the podcast, but that's hilarious. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Moving on to my number five. Like like I said, I, I find it ironic that I spent the first like, couple minutes of this episode dogging on Disney and the corporations. That's why my number five is Andor because, man, I mean, I already like well, the, the trailer, I'll admit, won me over because the trailer was like, I'm like, wow, this is actually a really good trailer that's not just telling us the entire plot like immediately. Okay, so th- th- this might actually be good. And then I find out that Tony Gilroy, who, again, we said is the savior of Rogue One, who came in and re- and kind of reshot the whole third act after they, you know, low-key fired uh, Gareth Evans after the first, uh, or sorry, Gareth Edwards. I keep getting those two confused. During after the first two acts of Rogue One, and it gave us arguably the best uh, Disney-era Star Wars movie. And so naturally, it makes sense that the best live-action Disney-era Star Wars show comes from the same guy. Andor is just, it's so different from any of the previous Star Wars we've gotten before, both in movie and TV format, because even the TV shows, as good as they were, they still kind of relied a little bit too much on lore, relied a little bit too much on legacy characters. And even though this is, yes, technically a legacy character, and there are a few other Star Wars legacy characters input in here, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It feels so much just like its own original thing. You're able to just invest in the characters. You're able to invest in the world. You're able to invest into the story. And as a result, you are able to just almost forget that there is a bigger, wider galaxy out there. You're able to forget that inevitably we're going to get the Death Star in a post credit scene at the end of this because the Death Star just obligatorily has to somehow be shoved into everything Star Wars. We, we forget about that because we don't care because we're so invested in the characters and where they're going. And even though, yes, I will admit, if the, if this show has some flaws, it's that I think it might be a little bit too long. And as a result, they might, like, kind of streamline out, uh, you know, the kind of the structuring and the pacing of it. And there are a few characters that kind of fall through the cast that are played by some really, really good actors that I might want to see more of. But again, those are nitpicks because this show is just so good that, again, those mo- if those moments are the lows, then you can only imagine how high the highs are. Again, like, like e- even besides Diego Luna's return, again, the fact that it's been six, it's already mind-blowing to believe that it's been six years since we were first introduced to his character of Cassie and Andor. Ironically enough, that movie came out right around the time when we met, actually. So that's already mind-blowing enough to begin with. But the fact that this show was for the first time ever a Star Wars show that was as good as it seemed like it was going to be and actually delivered and is setting us up for, again, hopefully another gangbuster second season and or it was everything that I've been wanting from Star Wars for a very, very, very long time and I can't wait to see where it goes and that's why it's at my number five on this list. Yeah, speaking of setting us up for another gangbuster second season and, and, and not being able to wait to see where it goes, at number four comes in Peacemaker. Now, who knows when we'll get this second season? This guy, James Gunn, from what I hear, has a lot going on at all times, but... 
I loved season one. A lot of people did. I think we were all hooked instantly when we saw John Cena and the whole cast just dancing in the intro credit scene. It was very Saturday morning TV, but like for adults, which is, I think, the audience that was supposed to be marketed for the show and reached very, uh, I'd say, effectively. What can I say, man? Just when you think John Cena is the worst of the three big actors uh, to come from WWE, he goes and surprises you. And it's now looking like The Rock might be the worst of them all because this show is so good. John Cena really, because it wasn't just that his comedy uh, shined. It wasn't just that his physicality, because obviously we know all these wrestlers are capable of being very physical performers. Emotionally, too, he tapped into a lot of great stuff. You know, I mean, he, 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 he portrays this macho masculine man who wears like this sheet of armor around his heart but really he has feelings and emotions he just wants his father's love and affection like everyone else and he really doesn't have a lot of friends so he loves this bird he connects with this animal because the animal can forgive him for his flaws but that's sad because you know animals and pets they're supposed to love like their owners and stuff and it's just wow i just wow 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 because this show is incredible i of course, being a great superhero outing too, you know, I, I just every time I think that I'm getting superhero burnout, something comes along to say, hey, you actually like this stuff. Remember that it just needs to be good. Yes. And Peacemaker was more than good. It was excellent. So at number four is Peacemaker. Absolutely. I just got to give a quick shout out to Luke as well, because it's ironic that you're criticizing The Rock. And rightfully so, because The Rock pretty much sucks in his bland and boring and everything. But Luke, wow, could we ever forget who got the best performance out of The Rock? Like I said, that Bayham episode that we did earlier this year, that was a magical moment. I could never, ever forget just how good The Rock's performance was. I mean, I, I like The even... Rock. It's just that he he's just so it's it's just quantity over quality. Yeah, exactly. Now. It's quantity over quality. It's his brand. It's his loyalty. Like, like I said, I, I, I think Patrick H. Williams said it best when he was like, yeah, The Rock is pretty much only in movies now in order to, in order to sponsor his tequila brand. And, and that's pretty much it. But I'm telling you, man, if you want to see The Rock give a, not a good, but a great performance, you got to watch Pain and Gain. One of the simultaneously most ridiculous and darkest movies that I have ever seen. Moving on to number four. We're almost into the top three. But first, again, had to give a quick shout out. Like I said, we got a lot, a lot of returning shows this year. Only a few of which made it into my list overall. But Chris, this is another kind of staple that's been around since the beginning of the Talking TV podcast. Again, we mentioned Stranger Things a lot, but this show, I would argue The Boys, has been around since we first started this podcast. And I will say that even though I enjoyed season two a lot, and season two went in some different directions than I was expecting, the way season two ended kind of felt very similar to the ending of Stranger Things season three, where I'm like, where can they go after this? Like, it, it's kind of just over, you know? And season three blew my expectations away and more. Two years, more than worth the wait. They did this show for the opening scene where they're once again just doing what they do best, which is blatantly putting Marvel and DC both on blast when they have the termite dude crawl inside the other man's appendage and blow him up from the inside out. Like, this show immediately established that it was back and bigger and better than ever. You had all the characters just on. Somehow they're most devious and they're most diabolical, to quote uh, one William Butcher's favorite phrase, uh, that they've arguably been yet, you know, Huey, Butcher, Homelander, Queen Maeve, Frenchie, Kimiko, uh, Mother's Milk, who we finally found out that his, um, you know, what that his real name was Marvin. The, all of the characters were just back and ready to go even harder before. And that's before we even got the introduction of arguably the scene stealer of this season, which is, again, Jensen Ackles' performance as Soldier Boy, the Captain America standard, who ended up being way more of a three-dimensional and fully fleshed out character than I possibly could have thought once again just shows the magic that this show is doing I, I think it's safe to say that like if, if there's no other confirmation that this is the best superhero thing that we have right now then I don't know what else is the only thing that I'll say that again maybe a little bit sad was after the ending of this season I'm like oh they, they can only do one more season because how, we, we can't have another season where Homelander is just threatening to destroy everything. You know, we, we, we got three seasons of that now. You know, we, we need to actually see it if you got to keep hinting at it, especially now that he's got his kid on his side as well. So yeah, this season was, it was awesome. It was badass. It was diabolical. The boys season three. That wasn't my best butcher impression, but I, I've done better before. No, it's all good. I, I think you raise great points. That is uh, a great, a great show. I do enjoy that show quite a bit. With that said, my number three is Vox Machina. Um, a show that was tailored for people like me, people who will stay up 
till 4 or 5 a.m. rolling dice, um, killing giant enlarged um, radioactive mice because, you know, your DM likes to throw anything and everything at you. And, and, and I think that this show does throw anything and everything at you. It, it, it really embodies the heart of Dungeons and Dragons, but also taps into that adult cartoon crowd, which for me has always been a hard, a hard sell. I, I, you know, I've watched a few episodes of South Park here and there, but I never found Family Guy, King of the Hill, American Dad, you name it. I never really found those shows funny. Now, I'm not saying I don't see the merit. I, I know people love that type of humor. For me, it wasn't really my thing, though. This show kind of like walks the line and does a little bit of everything, which I think is why it's been such a, like a sleeper success. And I just can't wait to watch the first few episodes it's been a busy week of the new season but i just can't wait to get in and dive into those but i mean just just instantly it's like blending the fantasy with like the adult humor and it's just it really is like that critical role campaign which i used to watch and loved just in the cartoon form and smaller smaller more palatable bites and that is great because i don't necessarily have the time anymore to watch four hour episodes of dungeons and dragons being actually played but just to feel the dice being rolled in like the screenwriting room because i really do feel that is incredible and 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 again from all the other achievements sound scoring it this show is wonderful um suspend your disbelief and go have some fun you know it's it's unconventional so don't go in expecting one thing just because maybe visually it has a certain look or someone told you a certain thing about it. But if you watch it, I know you're going to love it as I think millions of people now have. So yeah, give it a shot. Vox Machina, incredible show. Couldn't believe it. We've been blessed with so much great animation over the past few years on the streamers. And this is just another one in that long list. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Following up your number three with my number three again, probably... Yeah, I'll say it. This this was for me was the biggest surprise of the year, easily. In the sense of again, I was after that garbage Game of Thrones finale back in 2019. That was so bad that it led to, for me and Professor Pat to do a 73 episode podcast series recapping every single episode of Game of Thrones in order to try and figure out because it, 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 that finale messed me up so badly and gave me so much trauma and PTSD that I had to do, an again, I reiterate, an entire podcast series dedicated to recapping Game of Thrones. So you can imagine my surprise when after the announcement of House of the Dragon, which immediately just made me cringe and groan and be like, okay, so this is it. We're officially in the age of IP where everything now, even TV shows, can officially be IP. And you can imagine my surprise when House of the Dragon was not only good, but one of the best shows of the year. Easily. Talk about, again, take... Now, there are a few things, obviously, that we that we need to understand going in as to what made this show work as opposed to kind of why the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones failed. Number one, the fact that Martin George R.R. R. Martin is fully back and involved and invested. Number two, the fact that this is based off of a source material of his that, unlike Game of Thrones, is actually finished. Number three, the fact that, again... You've got, I think, really what it is that made the heyday of Game of Thrones work so well, which is Game of Thrones was always in this weird spot where it had, like, kind of to cover this transitional period between, like, the drama shows of old into the streaming era. You know, Game of Thrones was kind of caught in the middle in a way that shows like Breaking Bad and Sopranos and all the great shows that we got before that kind of weren't. So I'm not saying that that's an excuse and a reason as to why the last couple seasons were as bad as they were, but it, it kind of explains it a little bit more. But I think what this show has going for it that Game of Thrones didn't is that now we are fully enmeshed in the streaming age. And now it has all of the tools that Game of Thrones may not have had access to. It's got the production value. It's got the insane just level of writing that went into those first couple seasons. It's got amazing characters. Unlike the last couple seasons, which were just felt like they were just throwing shit at the wall in order to try and keep you occupied with as much action as humanly possible. This one, it's back to the intricacies of the characters. And it comes back to, I think, actually, again, sets us up for rather a different thing, which is where Game of Thrones at a certain point, Game of Thrones just felt like it was trying to say, like, oh, how shitty can people possibly be? In this show, I think it actually starts from, like, a place of more interesting merit, which is, like, um, you know, the idea of, and actually, again, comparing this to the corporate overlords we were talking about before, actually wanting to tackle and break down this issue as opposed to just use it as another shameless piece of marketing, which is what will happen if a woman rules in primarily a man's world and the kind of fallout that comes from that. I think it did an excellent job of setting that up from its first season. And despite all the criticisms that came from some of the later seasons, which again, I will fully admit are dumb. The fact that it's like, oh, the time jumps. Oh, the recastings. We can't keep track. There's so much stuff happening. Yes, that is all true. But that's all stuff that like didn't people didn't really care about in Game of Thrones. So I'm gonna chalk that up to okay, those are kind of BS criticisms because for me, 
the way that this show was able to tie up and have all of its storylines build to this amazing set piece finale. Arguably, I would say, on the level of some of the incredible set piece finales that we got in uh, those last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, Eric Thorpe said it the best when he said, this show has the writing level of the first couple of seasons mixed with the production value of the last couple of seasons. And I mean, it's in the title, the dragon action. Holy hell. Some of the best that I have ever seen on screen easily. I love dragons. Like anytime that something has a dragon or multiple dragons in it, I'm immediately invested. It brought us back to Westeros in the best way possible. It surpassed everyone's expectations. One of the few properties to actually do that in the year of 2022. House of the Dragon, my number three, easily. Amazing. At number two comes in another Apple TV Plus show. I told you guys, there's a lot of them. Severance. This one was almost my number one. For good reason. This show is absolutely incredible. It takes the deep sci-fi, slow-paced drama to a whole new level of fear and terror because, you know, hey, like these corporations, they're only getting bigger. They're only getting more powerful. Technology's only advancing further. Will we maybe have something like this one day? Well, I don't know. I certainly hope not because this show is terrifying in the way that it makes sci-fi seem so intertwined with the reality. I, watching this, I almost like couldn't really decipher a after a while. Like, whoa! Like, are we moving here? Like, and I started looking up. Like, what's Apple working on? What's Elon Musk up to? Like, are we going to be here sooner than we think? Like, this show really begs some very eerie and current questions. I think we're only a few years out. <laughs> um, hopefully, in a more positive way than this show, because. Man, but I got to say, just go watch it. It is Adam Scott at his best. It is just amazing supporting cast, like Dom said. We don't need to name the names again. And of course, it was shot in our beautiful Hudson Valley, which is home to us and now home to many great productions. But it is cool to drive around and see like, oh, dude, that's the, the beacon light. And oh, this is that. But, you know, really, the show would have been on my list regardless of where it was shot it, as long as it was always handled with the amount of love and care that this this season was, it's a clear shoo-in for top of the list. And highly recommend it. Can't wait to see where they go with season two. And Apple TV Plus, big year, four out of my ten. Uh, maybe five. We'll find out. But with that said, my number two is Severance. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, what's it called? Big one. So I'll cover my number two, and then we'll both hit number one at the same time as I just did a check, and we do have the same number one, which I was kind of hoping for, but I'm like, yes, the trend continues. This, <laughs> I, I don't know what number year this will In a weird way, I mean, we'll get to it back in 2019, for, again, how this ties into 2019. But yeah, my number two. Um, So I, I I do have this other thing in TV that has become like a recent phenomenon, which is where when a show picks up and I, and I don't cast the first couple seasons, and then I notice that it's still going on for like a while. I'm like, oh, wow, the show wasn't canceled after two seasons. Okay, it must be doing something right. And then it ends up becoming like one of the biggest, most watched things. And I'm like, okay, now I kind of have to catch up. And I wrote the show off for the longest time. I tried watching the first season when it aired, only two years after the conclusion of its origin series, Breaking Bad. And I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. Like, Odenkirk's still great. Jonathan Banks is still great. I, it's, it's, so they just made a legal drama show. Okay, cool. I don't really know where this is going. And here we are seven years later and the show just continued to evolve and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it is to the point where people are saying that this is better than the original. Is it? I'm still not quite sure, but all I know is that Better Call Saul's sixth and final season just took everything that I had come to love about the show and about Vince Gilligan and the, and Peter Gould and the love and the dedication that they put into building out the Breaking Bad universe in a way that I just didn't think was possible on a TV scale. The fact that they, they were kind of the first ones to the TV prequel game, but like actually taking it seriously and not just like doing it as another shameless cash grab. The fact that, again, like I was talking about with Cobra Kai, again, these spinoffs can only work if they start as a joke because Peter Gould made this joke. I want to say it was in Breaking Bad's fourth season or when they were writing the final season, when they were doing the writer's room, which is like, what if I did Saul as a spinoff show? And Vince Gill has talked about this actively, and here we are all these years later. 13 episodes split up over the course of a couple months. Unfortunately, they had to take a break because Bob Odenkirk suffered an almost fatal heart attack on the show that he narrowly survived. And again, like the... It, this, this, this man literally almost died for his art. We don't hear that many stories because, again, those stories are usually cautionary tales. But in this instance, like, again, it just resulted for arguably the best final season of a TV show that I have seen in a long, long, long time. There was always that joke, always that rumor that TV shows just never know how to end. But this proved now because Gilligan's done it twice now. He already had the greatest final season of a show, first with Breaking Bad. 
And now he's got it again with Better Call Saul. This is it pays off all the storylines. All like like everything that this show had been building up to the connections to Breaking Bad come in in a way that you think are going to be forced, but end up being amazing in and of itself. And then it goes one step further by just really tying up the Jimmy McGill arc after it finishes up the Saul Goodman arc. Only people who have seen the show will know what I mean by that, but I don't want to spoil it because it is just that good. I heavily recommend it. Man, they did it. Kudos to Vince Gill again. Uh, that being said. I think we need to kind of say goodbye permanently to the Breaking Bad universe. As great as Better Call Saul was, as great as this experiment was that turned out, I'm interested to see him move on to other things now. But yeah, this it was just an absolute treat for everyone that was involved. All those years of waiting really, really paid off in the biggest and best ways possible. It was awesome seeing those Breaking Bad legacy characters again. Even if they were 10 years older than they were in Breaking Bad, but they were supposed to be playing younger versions of themselves, that part was always like a really weird nitpick for me. But for the most part, Better Call Saul, it crushed it. Absolutely, heavily recommend. Go watch it if you haven't. And yeah, Chris, shall we do it? Our number ones? Let's so, do it. You, you introduce them, Dom. I do. I, I want to do a little bit of a preamble because, again, very similar to Stranger Things. Stranger Things was our first episode back in uh, 2019. The boys we also did. And then famously, when we did our top 10 TV shows of 2019, we had a little bit of an error because I thought that we were going we, to... We had the same two choices for our two and one, but we had them in the reverse order. I famously had Watchmen at one and Barry season two at two. You had Watchmen at two and Barry season two at number one. And again, of all the shows that we were waiting for to come back that we lost because of the pandemic, like I said, Succession, Atlanta, Ozark, The Boys, Better Call Saul, to name just a few... Barry was the one where I'm like, after that second season, I'm like, and, and how it ended. Like, one of the most gangbusters finales of that year. I'm like, when are we getting Barry back? When are we coming back, finally? And now, it is official that we finally, after four years, have the same number one show. We watched it. We podcast about it. We had such a blast. This show came out like a wrecking ball Forced to be reckoned with. Completely shifted the tone of Barry in the best way possible. Barry, season three. Holy shit like you take it from here i've already, I've already nerd enough about this show yeah man i mean i just knew from that sequence in the first episode where we're following uh oh man how can it sally and she's walking through the set and it's just this amazing sort of tracking shot uh and it just there's so many different emotions going on behind it and then in the end she's alone and there's this ominous red lighting on her face and it's the red lighting from the exit sign like she's achieved her her dreams but does she really want out was it what she thought it would be and i think that that subtext just really set a beautiful tone for the rest of the season you know there's a term in music called timbre the timbre of an instrument it's not necessarily the thing you hear it's the thing you feel the, the that resonates within your soul and and this show really taps into such a deep timbre for like the way it resonates with you as a viewer and and we watched this fairly early into the year and it's just stuck with me since when i was making this list it was a clear shot i said okay well number one's barry now everything else needs to be filled in around that I had the top of my pyramid. It was established. It was known. I mean, Cousineau and Barry's interplay is absolutely phenomenal. Um, again, all of the side characters, you know, the acting school ca castmates, like they continue to just charm and offer sometimes comedic relief. Uh, sometimes um, like just they help to show the prowess of the writing, you know, the grasp that these creators have on this universe knows no bounds, knows no limitations. And, Look, it's tough to summarize a show this incredible in just a few short sentences, so I'll leave it with this. Barry's the show I never knew I wanted, but the show I'm probably the most thankful for out of out of everything I've watched over the duration of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. The only real thing that I can add to that is just, man, fucking A, Bill Hader. Fucking A. That is all I got to say. Like, again, just knew exactly what he wanted to do. With, with, with the direction that he was taking all of these characters, not just Barry, like I said, Sally, Kusno, Fuchs, Noho Hank. Again, subtle power player of this season too, like with just all of his little bits that they had. Again, this show, again, it, it's between this show and Succession as far as like just doing everything right that I want, where they are simultaneously the darkest and funniest shows on the air right now. And this show from the opening, see for you it was the Sally sequence. For me, it was the opening scene with the Forgiving Jeff sequence, which was just so mind-bogglingly, just mind-bogglingly, just like, this is so dark and effed up, but it is so effing funny the way that is being that the way that is being delivered and the way that is being executed. I mean, all the ridiculous and awesome stuff that we got this season. 
the freaking the dog scene in episode two, the highway chase sequence, everything going on with Fuchs, where he just they were really playing up the fact that Fuchs could just not get out of his own way. Just some more incredible close-ups of, of, of Sally monologues, everything going on with Noho Hank and Barry, they're back and forth the moment. <laughs> In episode four, when our, when Barry is on the phone with the app developer trying to figure out how to use the app to properly set off the bomb, like it is everything that I could possibly want from a show and more. It is the single-handedly like the best thing on the air. And unfortunately, it's another one that's coming to an end too soon because again, Bill Hader knows exactly what to do with the show because the up and coming fourth season, which will be airing this year and which every episode will be directed by Bill Hader will unfortunately be its last. So again, we waited a long time for it, but it gave us probably one of the best middle acts of the show ever. And this is already after season two came this close to being my number one back in 2019. But Barry season three, man, it is just one of the greats. It, it is one of the greats. It is one of the best. Absolutely. I, I could not recommend it more. And with that being said, people, that's it. That's another top 10 list that we did. Again, our fourth year running for this man. He, again, here's hoping to many... Many more of these will be back next week for our top 10 favorite movies of 2022. Once again, like I said, it, it, it's always interesting to see which list ends up being better. Like I said, TV's been running the last couple of years, but will there be some interesting surprise movies to talk about? Tune in next week in order to find out as we wrap up dry January before we get into the rest of the year's worth of content. Chris, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Yeah, thank you guys again so much for watching everything Dom said and more. We really appreciate it, and we hope you enjoyed this past year of content as much as we did. Now, with that said, you guys can find me at Christian Ivanko. That's Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. I make music. I post videos to my own YouTube channel. Go subscribe. Go follow me anywhere that matters. The links are always in the description, and I hope to see you there. And, of course, I hope you will follow my co-host, Dom, across the internet and the interwebs. Dom, where can they find you, man? at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. But more importantly, follow the official Talking TV podcast across all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, where we've been posting actively a lot more. TikTok, where again, we have been making a vast effort in order to appeal to the people who actually watch this stuff, which again, if people can only digest stuff in 15-minute form now, well then, we will be there absolutely. So go follow all of those and more. Be sure to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Be sure to also follow us on Twitch. This episode will be available to listen to tomorrow morning on Spotify. Like I said, we're just getting the year of 2022 finally wrapped up and kicking off the year of 2023. So from myself and Chris, here is to it. Season 5, 12 seasons in a short film, and watch more fucking movies and TV. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>